Well, if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. Appreciate y'all being flexible so that the middle schoolers can enjoy the children's building for the Bible quizzing. Don't forget, we're going to be doing that next Wednesday. This is not the title of our lesson. We'll get to the title later, but I just wanted to overview the last half of the book of Ephesians. We are... um, turning the last corner, we're in the last section, and we already know chapters 1 through 3, we talked about our position in Christ, and then chapters 4 through 6 is our practice in Christ. And what did Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, want these believers at Ephesus to practice? Well, he wanted them to practice unity in the church. He wanted them to practice holiness in their personal lives. He wanted them to practice obedience to the Lord in their relationships. And you especially enjoyed the whole, you, you talking about marriage and the, the husbands and the wives and relationship there and how they're both submitting to the Lord. And then you love talking about the children obeying their parents. And, you know, we, we looked at slaves and masters. And even though you're not slaves and you don't have masters, all right, there's some implications we can draw from that. And then we see in verse 10, Cody started us off with practicing perseverance amidst opposition. And the rest of the book is going to be this section right here, practicing perseverance amidst opposition. And just taking a moment, ask yourself for each one of these sections. Okay, Paul, uh, we know he's in, he's in house arrest, right, in Rome. He could have wrote anything to them, but he especially wanted them to practice these things. So why was unity important for the church at Ephesus, knowing that there was opposition from without, but there was also opposition that was creeping up within. And he says, look, of all things, you are one in Christ. You need to be unified. What about holiness? I mean, does that really matter, right? Well, they lived in a pagan world. They lived in a pagan city. They lived in a pagan culture. And the way to stand out and to show that they really love God was to obey him and to practice Holiness. And you think of, man, the impact of a husband loving his wife in that culture. You know, it was it was completely foreign. Sometimes people think that Christianity is like oppressive towards women and so forth. The concept of loving your wife in that culture. The women were treated terribly. The wives were treated like property. But God, through Paul, made it very clearly that you are to love them, husbands and wives. You are to submit to them. You see, this church, if they were to function how God wanted them to, being the bride of Christ, they needed unity. They needed holiness. They needed to obey. They needed to submit. And then clearly, he now is calling them to persevere. Because you're living for Christ, this world is going to keep attacking you. Satan and his forces are going to keep bombarding you. Do you just give up? Do you cry about it? Do you go join the Miami Heat with two other superstars? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was a cheap shot. 
Why was this important for the church at Ephesus? Well, why is all of this important for us at Countryside? We know that this was specifically written to the church at Ephesus, but there are timeless truths that we take from this. And I hope, Christian, that you have been practicing unity throughout our study. Loving the people that are here, even though they look different than you and they like different things than you and they go to a different school or a different type of school than you. Really focusing on unity. And not just here in the youth group, but through the church throughout. Are you practicing holiness in your personal life? Are there things you need to talk with your mom or your dad or one of your leaders about? Do you need to throw that phone in the trash? Do you need to completely change the things you spend your time on? Uh, do you have a, a pure mouth or is just filth spewing out of it? We need holiness in our personal lives because this world is not holy. And when we are holy as God is holy, we show our love for him and we show that we are true believers. And then obviously the practicing obedience to the Lord in our relationships is so important to furthering his gospel and presenting a light. What about this last one? Practicing perseverance amidst opposition. It's actively talking about Satan and his followers pressuring us and trying to get us to stop sharing the gospel. Some of you don't feel that because you aren't sharing the gospel. You're not proactively talking about God and about his kingdom and about the church, so nobody's messing with you. We need to realize that one of the schemes that we'll talk about is the fact that Satan wants us so distracted and so focused on everything else that we don't even make a difference. But we should be. We should be. All of this is so important for us to be practicing here. And the title of our lesson is actually Practicing Perseverance Amidst Opposition, Part 2. And I know, you're like, what happened to Part 1? Well, that was, that was, Cody started us off with Part 1. He just didn't call it this, but I'm going to call this Part 2. And if you're really lucky, Edwin will call his lesson on Sunday Part 3. But he might not, all right? He might not. And what I want you to see here, we won't go through all of this, all right? You see the, the red bold words here. And funny, that one's maroon. Ah, that's close enough, all right? It says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And what I want you to see is this idea of perseverance throughout. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will what? Be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Oh, I missed one. Tonight's lesson, we're going to look. I, I was going to cover all of 14 and 15, but then I texted Edwin and I said, I'm not going to make it, bro. Okay, I'm only going to teach part of this and I needed to do the rest. Stand firm, therefore. Look at verse 16. You need to be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And you even get a sword. We are in the midst of a battle, right? And Cody did a great job talking about how the war has already been 
won. Christ has won the war, but we are now in a battle with Satan and his forces. Do you feel in a battle? Do you realize that? Do you recognize it? In this battle, we need to persevere. We need to stand firm. Verse 18, it says, you need to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I mean, you just look at Paul's life. Everywhere he went, what was the number one thing on his mind? It's Jesus. And he wanted people to believe in Jesus. And then once they believed in Jesus, he wanted them to obey Jesus. And he wanted them to then teach Jesus to other people. And how did the world treat Paul? The world hated him. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, thrown in prison. If anyone is qualified to write this section of scripture, it's Paul. Well, are we any different than, than Paul? Well, I know we're not apostles. Shouldn't this be our pursuit? Shouldn't we feel these same pressures? We should be practicing perseverance amidst opposition, and there will be opposition for all of those who desire what? To live godly in Christ Jesus. Let's look real quick at a recap of Cody's lesson. And uh, I appreciated him giving his insights from his military background and some of the illustrations that were there. And, and it's also nice to know that Brooke writes large portions of his lesson for him. Uh, that was particularly helpful. I, I, I made fun of Brooke for that. And she said, actually, I, I don't even know what he's talking about. And I'm like, we'll talk about that later. But Cody did a great job with that. And he covered the first three commands that you find in this section. And if you weren't there as just a way of recap, we're going to go over those three commands. The first one is be strong in the Lord. And it's not hard to see that command, right? Finally, he's wrapping things up. He's concluding, finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. All right, and this is a, a passive imperative. It's a passive command. It means that it's allowing it to happen to you. How can I do this? I need to be strong in the strength of the Lord and in his might, not on my own way. And notice that it's not just look strong. It's be strong. Oftentimes, we put on a face that everything's okay and that we're strong enough and that we're tough enough. And even with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we fail to admit that we're struggling. We think in small group that there's something wrong with us if we say, I'm overwhelmed. No, that's a normal thing and reach out and get help from those other people. But you can be strong in the Lord and you are commanded to be strong. Not to be whipped and waved all around to, to persevere. Then he goes on to command that we put on the full armor. Put on the full armor. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That word put on literally means to clothe yourself with. 
clothe yourself with armor. And I know that you've probably done some VBS or you've done some, you know, kids program and you got to see the Roman soldier with the helmet and the belt and the sword and the shield. And you're well versed with all of those things. You understand the, the gospel of the preparation of, of you know, uh, the shoes type of thing. Edwin's going to cover the pieces of the armor on Sunday. And I want to really dig in deep with why we need it and how we utilize it. And it would be kind of cool if you woke up in the morning and you literally had the helmet of salvation. And you're like, oh, I can do this. I'm going to put this baby on. But that's not what he's saying here. It's not physical stuff. It's a, it's a mindset that you're developing, right? The helmet of salvation. We understand a, a helmet protects and it guards the mind, which is really important. So being saved and knowing that I'm saved, if Satan whispers in my ear doubts of my salvation, I say, no, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. When the world pressures us, and it's all super important, right? All super important. We need to clothe ourselves with these items. Righteousness, truth, salvation, faith, the gospel, and in order to, in, in doing so, we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And if you were, you know, signing up for a basketball league and you walked in and you said, well, who are we playing today? Okay, you're playing against Satan. Okay, all right, I think I can take him. All right, I know he can't go left, so I think there's a little bit of a weakness there. But you're also going to be going against the rulers. Okay, well, they seem kind of rulerish, powerful. Well, against the powers, okay, against the world forces of this darkness. Man, that's tough. I don't know if I can beat them. Oh, I'm not done. You're also going against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What? Oh. And that can seem rather intimidating, right? Well, we have Jesus on our side. And we have the armor that he has provided us so that we can have victory in the battle. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And you're like, whoa, I'm getting flashbacks to the put off, put on type of thing. Good. Keep those flashbacks. It's the same type of idea. Don't continue in sin. Instead, put on the armor of the Lord so that you can stand firm. Let's take a moment and ask ourselves, what are these schemes of the devil? All right, sometimes we give the devil too much credit. We need to first of all understand that he's a fallen angel, right? And so there are certain abilities that he has that are supernatural because angels have those. But he's not greater than God and he can't thwart God's plans and he is actually subject to God even though he's rebelling against him. But there are certain tactics that the devil employs. And there's a, a number more than what we're going to have time to go over. But here are a few common schemes of the devil. Scheme number one, he wants your trust to be in the wrong place. And I did something revolutionary here. I went to some common occurrences where you see Satan, and I said, what did he do? That's one of the schemes. So you know the whole garden 
the tree, knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve and all of those things. Satan, who is the serpent, boom, right off says, oh, Eve, indeed has God said. Really? Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Is that what he's really thinking? And he wants to, to plant those seeds of doubt. He wants you to trust that you can save yourself. Look at all of the, the major world religions. What are all of them? They're all works-based. He has deceived all of them into thinking they can save themselves, that they can be good enough. Their trust is in the wrong place. We know that we are to trust in the Lord, and he will what? He will give us understanding. He will make our path straight. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. But we often trust in ourselves or we trust in something else or we trust in someone else who can lead us astray. We are to trust in God alone, but Satan doesn't want that. The second scheme, he wants your affections in the wrong place. Want your affections in the wrong place. Remember, Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. But who is the one that spurred Judas on to do it? Satan. Satan. Judas was the one who collected the money and he would skim off the top. Judas was the one that was especially disappointed that Jesus wasn't going to set up an earthly kingdom. Judas loved money. He loved popularity. He loved power. And so when it came down to it and he saw that Jesus wasn't going to give the things that he wanted, he sold him for 30 pieces of silver. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, Satan wants you to love material things more than other people. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants you to love stuff more than God. Satan wants you to love sport or music or academia or career. He wants you to love that stuff more than you love God. And when you look at your time and you say, well, I don't have time to read the Bible. But then you look at all of the other things that you fill your day with. Oh, you have time. But you choose to love video games more than God's word. You choose to love those things, but Satan wraps it all up and, and makes it look nice. Makes it look nice. And someone asks a good question. They're like, well, can Satan read our thoughts? I think you're giving Satan too much credit. Jesus can read our thoughts. I don't think Satan can read our thoughts. But you know what Satan can do? Satan can work through his followers. And remember, going back to Ephesians 2, that everyone who's not in Christ is a what? Son of disobedient, walking according to the prince of the power of the air. And so what do they do? They work through the means of Hollywood and they make a, a materialistic lifestyle look great and wonderful. And there's advertising that's like, who would ever partake of that? Oh, but that hot actor is, so it's gotta be good. And all of that's what really, fun. so that's how Satan operates. He, he puts circumstances and things in front of us and he gets us distracted and looking at those things. He wants your affections in the wrong place. If your main love is for God and for his people, then your life will look differently. He wants your source of wisdom to be in the wrong place. Remember Job, Satan went before God and God's the one who said, have you considered my servant Job? 
And at first you're like, man, that's really cool. I wish I was Job. And then you see everything that happens to Job and you're like, well, that's maybe not as cool as I thought it was. Three friends come to comfort Job. And those dudes did not have a clue. And Job was hurting. And so Satan was hoping that these three dudes that rolled in would give him bad advice. And that Job would take that bad advice and act on it. But to his credit, Job didn't fall for that, right? Satan wants your source of wisdom to be in the wrong place. And that's why it's not cool for teenagers to listen to their parents. You think of the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6, parents teaching their children. Well, Satan wants you to not learn from them anymore because they're trying to teach you the truth and he's trying to cut that off. We have things like evolution. We have things like the postmodern movement where there's no absolute truth. Because if Satan can get you uh, believing that God didn't create everything, then you're not accountable to him. And if Satan can get you believing that there is no truth, well then how do I know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Satan wants you to believe that evil is good and good is evil. And we know from the Bible that Satan himself uh, disguises himself as what? An angel of light angel of light. So these are just three common schemes that Satan is trying on you. Now for the unbeliever, right, you already bought in hook, line, and sinker. You're dead in your sins. You're separated. The only solution for you is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you will be a child of God instead of a child of Satan. But for the Christian, we need to look at these things. We need to understand them, and then we need to act on them. You know, one of the things that I enjoy about sports is you're trying to, to do the best that you can, right? But you also are evaluating your opponent. And I know a number of you have signed up for the Men's Basketball League, and, and I love it. It's great. Well, when you're out there shooting and when you're hanging around, I mean, I'm, I might be noticing your weaknesses. And when we get into the Men's League and I watch a game, I might notice that guy can't go left. Or I notice that guy likes the 15-footer from the baseline. Or I might say, this guy doesn't help on the weak side. All right, I know that's a little complicated for some of you, but I'm actually analyzing your weaknesses so that I can exploit them. No, 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 not exploit, right? You know how the enemy is seeking to attack you so that you know how to stand firm. And just know, Satan doesn't want you to trust the word. He doesn't want you to trust the Lord. Satan wants you loving other stuff. He wants you distracted with other stuff. Satan wants you not to run to God, not to run to his word, but to run to bad advice and other sources of wisdom. The third command that we see from Cody's lesson was to take up the full armor. Take up the full armor. I'm not supposed to actually erase that part. Pretend you didn't see that last thing. It'll be a surprise when we get there. Take up the full armor. It says that in verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day having done everything to stand for firm. And notice, you, you need the complete set. All right, if you go to battle but you don't have your helmet, sorry. If you try to accomplish this but you don't have righteousness, you just got a big old gap for them to stab you with, 
all right? If you go out there and you don't have the sword of the spirit, then you're just like trying to hit him with your shield or something like that. That's not very much fun. You, you need all of it, the full armor of God. And, and um, you know, I, I was wondering, why does one put on and one is take up? Take up is to take up in order to carry. And part of that is some of these items, you don't put on a sword. You take up a sword. You take up a shield. So there are parts of this that you're taking up and there are parts that you are putting on. One commentator, Thielman, said that in, in verse 611, the believers need to put on God's armor because of the shrewdness of the devil's strategies against them. But here in verse 13, they need to take up the armor because of the power of the devil and his minions who are opposed to them. A formidable foe we are battling. And so we want to take advantage of everything that God has given to us in order to win the battle. Now, that was Sunday, and you were here on Sunday, right? And Cody did a good job with that, and he illustrated it, and he hit it home. Did you do anything to practice this from Sunday to Wednesday? We always fear. We don't want it to go in one ear and out the other, right? We want it actually to go in, and we want it to seep and penetrate your heart and your mind. Did you put into practice the things that he taught you, the things that he talked about. Are you being bold for the Lord? Are you opening up your mouth to share the gospel with others? Are you speaking out against wickedness and promoting righteousness? Did you practice this? We need to get better and better at these things, all right? Well, tonight's lesson, we're just going to come to the fourth command. And now you know, because of the review and putting it all in context, why I didn't quite get as far as I wanted to. A fourth command. The fourth command is to stand firm. Stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore. And he goes on to say, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. So you can already see, stand firm is the command. Well, how am I going to do that? Having, having, having. But in addition to those things, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're to stand firm. What does this mean, though? What does it mean? It means to remain stable. To remain stable. Uh, you can often think of, uh, you know, you go to Hawaiian Falls and you got the little wave pool and stuff like that. That's not really powerful, but it kind of moves you around. Right? Have you ever been out in the ocean and you try to stand there and the waves come in? And they will knock you down, right? The waves of this world and the waves of this forces are coming. And so you have to, to gear up and you got to get a firm base and you got to be ready to roll. All right, if that wave is coming in, that wave of oppression, that wave of opposition, and you're just so to do, boom, it's going to knock you on your feet. But if you can hunker down and stand firm and get ready, well, then you can take on any onslaught that Satan puts upon you. The same word is used in 1 Peter 5 says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true 
grace of God, stand firm in it. Well, 1 Peter, the theme is stand firm, the Christian's response to suffering. And Peter is writing to people that are being killed because of Nero and his persecution. And he doesn't say, hey, you guys should, you should run and hide. All right? Just blend in. Put on that camouflage, look like everybody else, and hope things die down. He says, no. You're to continue the work that is to be done. And even though the world hates you, you are to stand firm in the grace of God. We already saw this in verse 11. There's this principle, this idea, he says, so that you will be able to what? Stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So Satan is, is whispering in your ear and Satan is throwing trash in your face and, and Satan is bringing people to push and to pressure you and you're gonna, you're gonna stand firm. Or in verse 13, it says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Specifically, it's used here as to stand up against. Verse 14, it carries the idea of holding one's ground. Hold your ground, therefore. That's what it means. And so you think of sin's temptation, standing firm. A world that hates you, standing firm. A difficult life, standing firm through all of it. Haven't they already been commanded to stand firm though? Like for instance, we saw it in verse 11 and verse 13. So when we're saying this is the fourth command, Hasn't this already happened? No, the, the other commands are to be strong, to put on, and to take up. You do those things in order to get to the fourth command. You need the armor first in order to stand firm. And I hope that this kind of clicks. This is something that logically helps you understand this process, right? Being strong is passive. It's happening to us. And you're like... So I don't do anything? No, no, no. It's not that you don't do anything. You're supposed to actively do what? Put on the full armor. And you're supposed to actively take up the full armor. And if you put on the full armor and you take up the full armor, then you will what? Then you will stand firm. And in doing so, you will be strong. So if you look at that first command and say, yeah, I like that. I like that idea of being strong. Sounds good to me. I know in my home life, there, there's people within our family and a lot of them, some of them don't love the Lord and there's people at school that make fun of me or at work, people are picking on me because I love Jesus or I, I won't use certain words or you know, uh, the idea of waiting until marriage is something they laugh and they snicker at. I wanna be strong. Well, how? I mean, if you didn't pay attention to anything else, you didn't write anything, how, how can you be strong? You have to take up the full armor. You have to put on the, the full armor. And when you have that, you stand firm. And in standing firm, you are being strong. And that's the beauty of how these four commands all come together. Well, what does standing firm not look like? All right, take a, a page out of Pastor Tom's playbook here. What does it not look like? Well, let's think of Peter for a moment. Peter, 
one of the disciples, one of the three that were closest to Jesus, there were times in his life that the schemes of the devil dissuaded him from standing firm. In fact, they they made him deny Jesus. They made him run from the pressure that was there. And there's a couple of places I want us to flip around to. Let's go to, to Luke. And my hope is, some of this is familiar to you, I hope that this is an object lesson that you can readily go back to to remind yourself. Luke 22, verse 31. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Remember Simon Peter. Behold, Satan has what? Demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked God for permission to sift you like wheat. So what is the scheme of the devil here? Satan knows how important Peter is to Jesus. And so just like the, have you considered my servant Job? Satan wants to take Peter down. Partly because Peter is the spokesman. He's the leader of these disciples, right? So Satan has obtained permission to sift Peter like wheat. Hmm. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail in you once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, did you catch that? Jesus knew already what was Peter going to do. Peter was going to deny him. And he said, but I'm praying for you that after that moment, when you realize that you have done wrong, that you're going to turn from that. That you're going to come back to me. And then you're going to what? Strengthen your brothers. Don't hold on to that guilt. Don't hold on to that shame because that's what Satan wanted. Wow. That's weighty. And he said to him, or in verse 33, Lord, with you, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. So well-meaning, right? Oh, pfft, not me. You kidding? I'd die for you, Jesus. Jesus said to him, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. Ooh. Ooh. So what happens? The events unfold. Jesus is arrested. There's, he's on trial. He's being beaten and all of these things. Matthew 26. Then Peter began to curse and swear. I do not know the man. He at least was following Jesus to see what was going on. And when they caught him, when they confronted him, hey, hey, you, you know that Jesus guy? He was, like, he was swearing and cursing, no way, no how. No, I do not know him. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. How do you think Peter felt at that moment? Here is his moment to be strong. Here is his moment to stand firm and, and, and he didn't do it. Well, even worse, right before that, Luke says, the Lord turned 
and looked at Peter. He's across the courtyard. He denies him for the third time, and Jesus just peers on over to him, and boom, he was, he was broken. And that's when Peter remembered what Jesus had warned him about. Jesus had warned him about the schemes of the devil, and Peter didn't listen. He didn't listen. What does it look like to stand firm? Well, there's a guy, you may have heard of him before. His name's Peter. I'd like to talk with you about him. Because Peter gets it. Peter is going to stand strong and be firm. I, I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. This is after the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We already know that those who oppose Jesus are willing to kill. And the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost and these men are, are speaking in tongues and people are like, what is happening? And in verse 11, it says the, the Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. So God is doing this miraculous thing to the Holy Spirit and some are like, Whoa! And others are making fun of them. And here you have old Peter on the sideline. What do you think it might be tempting to do? You know what? The Spirit seems to be doing something good here. Just going to let it happen. Because these are the same dudes that killed Jesus. I don't know if I really want to say anything. Well, Peter has learned now, verse 14, taking his stand with the eleven, he raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. But this was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And let's skip down to verse 22. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you, you audience, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Did Peter stand strong here? Did Peter go out on a limb? Absolutely. And you know what happened? Thousands of people came to Christ. Thousands of people. At his arrest, Peter was like, uh-uh, want no part. I'm going to go hide. But now, after the death and resurrection, Peter is like, bring it on. Let's go. Well, what changed? What changed? Go to John 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. So this Peter has received the Holy Spirit. And don't let that, don't let that, you know, shortchange you. Don't lose sight of that. Now he has the Holy Spirit empowering him. The same Holy Spirit that lives and resides within you. It says that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you and me and I in you. You see, 
he's seen the resurrected Lord. And he has received the Holy Spirit. And that is what has changed him radically so that he now can stand firm. Flip over to, to John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? So this is the resurrected Christ and they're all eaten together. And he specifically points out to Peter, he says, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had to say to him the third time, do you love me? Well, why did Jesus do it three times? The three denials. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus could have said, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. It's all over. I mean, you can be in heaven, but... You're not, uh uh-uh. You denied me three times. You know how much that hurt? With Jesus, there's no condemnation. With Jesus, there's forgiveness. And he completely restored Peter. Remember how he prayed for Peter? That after he denied Jesus, that he would return and then what? Strengthen his brothers. That he would feed the flock. That he would shepherd the sheep. So Peter changed because of Jesus. And you're like, so what, is, what does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with me? I, w- I want you to go to Matthew 14. Matthew 14, a common story. There, Jesus is out walking on the water. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. How does Jesus seek to comfort those in need? I'm here. It's me. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, You have little faith, why did you doubt? When Peter focused on Jesus, what happened? He walked on water. When Peter focused on Jesus, he stood strong. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He doubted. He got scared. He got weak. So we can be strong like Peter if we focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when it comes to standing firm, we don't need to go any farther than looking at Jesus. Jesus understood the schemes of the devil were for him to be arrested and killed. What Satan didn't understand, what was God's plan? 
for Jesus to be arrested and killed. And so Jesus could fully go through what God had for him and stand firm against the, the schemes of the devil because Jesus always focused on God's plan. And Peter watched Jesus and everything that was going on and he watched them on the cross yell out, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. This was the scheme of the devil fulfilling God's perfect plan to offer a substitution. But the people crying out and hating Jesus, Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. They have fallen for Satan's lies and Satan's trap. And so now Peter has this same boldness as Jesus to do his work. Well, let me close with this. When you get to verses, the rest of 14 through 17, you know there's a belt, there's a breastplate, there's shoes, there's shields, and a helmet. And what I want you to take away and I, what I want you to think of, all right, the belt is truth. Well, where does truth come from? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It comes from Jesus, okay? The breastplate represents what? Righteousness. Okay, great. Where do I get righteousness? Well, when I believe in Jesus, he cleanses me of all unrighteousness and he imputes his righteousness to me. The gospel is what? The good news of Jesus. Faith, faith where? Faith in Jesus. Well, what does Jesus have to do with salvation? He provided the salvation. He secures the salvation. And so when you think of the armor of God, you have to go back to thinking about Jesus. Jesus not only provides this armor, he models for us how to use it. He models for us how to use it. And so why it might seem a little abstract to put on armor, what you're essentially doing is you're focusing on Jesus in these wonderful things that he has given to you. And you're utilizing them to train your mind to trust God, to love others, and to live righteously to advance the gospel. All right? And I know that this passage is very familiar to you, but I hope that this helps you connect the dots and put it into practice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God, and we thank you for this time together. I pray, Lord, that we would reflect on our life and that we would commit to being strong by utilizing the things that you have already given to us. Righteousness and truth and the gospel and salvation and your word. And I pray that we would endure amidst persecution. That we would persevere because of what you have already given to us. And that's Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen.